Alicia Foon is with us today uh, for our Pacific uh, report. And um, thank you very much for that, Kia ora, and welcome. Um, thank, thank you very you. much for that. Uh, and to love a lover, it's on everyone's minds, it just can't not be. The shock, yeah. the shock and the grief um, with the sudden death of Whaanana Ephesal Collins, uh, MP, husband, father, family yeah. member, community member. Um, you have been in contact with many members of the community. Can you just explain what what is happening now a couple of days on from this, his shocking sudden death? Yeah, of course. Well, funeral arrangements are being made for Whaanana Fiso Collins' celebration of life and more details will be revealed today. But I'm told by a family friend that um, they'll be preparing for a gathering to take place sometime next week in Auckland. And as you can imagine, the news is still very fresh, so the family are lamenting and taking that time to process together in South Auckland. Uh, overnight, we heard from Fa'anana's family for the first time since his death, and they posted a bereavement notice through Tepeni Funerals Online, thanking people for the outpouring of aroha and support. It quoted a Bible verse, I will lift my eyes unto the hills from where my help comes from. Um, my help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. It went on to say, words cannot express our gratitude for all the messages of love, support and comfort received since Fa'anana was called to rest. Thank you for the prayers and wrapping us firmly in your love as we navigate through this difficult time. We respectfully ask for privacy and your patience as we come to terms with the loss and prepare the final celebration of his life. And now that message was from his wife, Vasa Fia, and daughters, Capriella and Aselemo Collins. He's a young man. He is. 49. And uh, two young daughters. um, and this again is part of uh, of the shock. I think that that everyone uh, is absorbing that someone so someone larger than life um, is is lost so suddenly. So very heartfelt uh, message from from his family there, dealing with this the most. The tributes, meanwhile, and the memories have been pouring in from all directions, Alicia. Absolutely, and they're still coming. So after the outpouring of support and tributes um, from his passing. Uh, People are being invited to view his body and grieve together, especially culturally. It's important for this to happen and to get closure. And so we'll start to see a lot of these um, messages kind of come directly to the family as they open up their doors and um, allow more people in. We've heard from his close friends and colleagues about the kind of man he was to them and why he was so well respected. They shared with me some of their favourite memories. They say, at the foundation, he was a man of faith and family, a Samoan leader who grew up in Otara, South Auckland, and he was bestowed the chiefly title of Fa'anana from his mother's village in Samoa. He was a long-time friend uh, of national candidate Agnes Lohini and former Minister for Pacific Peoples Alpito William Seal. They both called him fierce and fearless. They said he was someone who spoke truth to power. They say he stood in the gap for many and was a voice for the poor. Uh, I think Alpito William, uh, William Seal has, has shared some very specific memories, has he? Yes, he has. Now, Sarah recalled the moment Fa'anana was born, uh, sorry, was sworn in as Auckland councillor where Fa'anana used the opportunity to call out systems and behaviours of racism and discrimination. Seal says he gave a lot of young people hope and showed them what was possible. And even though he didn't win the mayoralty, he was given endorsements by Labour and Greens and ultimately won over the hearts of many people. Seal said his profile reached all four corners of the Pacific and that his campaign had funding from overseas. He was acknowledged by the Tongan princess as well, so his influence really spread not only you know across New Zealand but the islands as well. And I think that's been the reflections that many have made. Well, first 
least acknowledging the loss to his family and community, um, is how much was a hit, um, you know, and how much tremendous influence and uh, significant influence in this new sphere uh, was a hit. And of course, um, many of the Pacifica um, MPs, we saw them very um, particularly distressed, distressed, all the MPs were distressed, but people like Jenny Salesa and Carmel Cipollone, the former Deputy Prime Minister, that part of the system just absolutely um, in shock. Yeah. And, of course, he'd had affiliations with Labour before before moving to the Green Party. So right around the, the political sphere as well, just, just complete shock. What more have you learned about his impact over the years, quite apart from, from his political activity um, in more recent years? Yeah. Well, although he was inducted a week ago and gave his maiden speech in Parliament, he has been in the political sphere for many, many years. For Anana made a, a big contribution to students when he became the first Polynesian president of the Auckland University Students Association in the late 1990s. He was also a youth worker, and a lot of young people were able to relate to him and speak to him because um, he was a gentle giant and was really relatable and was very open about sharing his experiences of growing up in South Auckland. Uh, he also had a huge influence on Hannah Schmidt, a director of Papatoitoi-based Pacifica-led creativity agency Blue wave and uh, she she considered for Anana as one of her mentors and supporters she said he was an awesome person who gave a lot of guidance to those in South Auckland who were in the community business space and governance space and so oh yeah Sorry, I was just going to say, I've also heard, you know, this is this is this is the business support um, mm. and the new generation. But I've heard of students. He would connect students with mentors. They he would, would. He would say, "What, what are you interested in?" Oh, I'm quite interested in being a journalist. And the next minute, um, you know, a, a Pacifica journalist, a, um, you know, see it, believe it, um, connection is made. And this went on all the time. Absolutely, he was a bridge. I was speaking to him uh, last year at um, Polyfest in Dunedin. And he was saying the reason he moved moved from Labour to the Green Party is because he had so much faith in the next generation. And uh, his actions really reflected um, his dreams for his children and for Pacifica who were coming through. You know, the largest uh, population within New Zealand in that um, 25 to 35 age bracket. And so we're seeing a lot of young people who um, whose families prize education. They come here from the islands to make something of themselves, to make their families proud, to get into the, the area of um, law and, you know, becoming doctors and, and that sort of thing. And, and he was a bridge, really. And he really empowered a lot of young people. So yes, a role model. He mm. can show what's possible, but but more than that, as you say, a connector. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with respect to the Green Party, then, uh, which has had a, a torrid year, uh, hasn't it? In yeah. many ways, um, with loss of him, with, with you know losing Goris Garaman and um, James Shaw, another very senior figure, announcing he's on about to leave. And there's no question of Hessel Collins. He, he hadn't run for the replacement um, co-leadership position, but there's no question that down the track he would have been regarded as a a major, major player um, in that party. Um, They are grieving. They've also got to get on and find a replacement MP. I think we know who that's going to be, do we? Yes. um, So the replacement MP uh, hasn't been confirmed yet, but we suspect it will be Dr Lawrence uh, Shunan. So uh, he is the next person on the Green Party list and, yes, is expected to now be the next Green Party MP. He's of Chinese descent from the city of Tianjin uh, and uh, lived in New Zealand for 26 years uh, and uh, has a PhD in Egyptology, the scientific study of ancient Egypt. 
Thank you, Alicia. Let's look at some other news now from the Pacific. The Cook Islands has made an official change to call deep sea mining minerals harvesting. Now, is this related to... um, the very, very lucrative amount of, of, of minerals in its waters. It is. Well, the Cook Islands has been uh, really leading the way in the Pacific for this kind of research. And Mark Brown, the uh, Prime Minister of the Cook Islands, sees this as kind of uh, the Cook Islands' way to build their economy and help the people um, for their future, really. So some big ambitions there. The Cook Islands has made an official change to call deep-sea mining minerals harvesting. Now, the bill was passed in Parliament on Monday local time, including other deep-sea mining amendments. Uh, and so Brown said that a mining is a broad term which ranges from extraction through digging and cutting, and three mining companies have been exploring the Cook Islands' exclusive economic zone to see if deep-sea mining can go ahead without causing serious environmental harm. But that hasn't come without pushback. Uh, there's been a lot of division, and uh, following the Pacific Islands Forum, which I attended in the Cook Islands last year, uh, we saw that Fiji, Palau and Samoa uh, had their reservations and were calling for a pause and moratorium. There's some very lucrative, I'm just trying to find their names because we've done an, um, an interview on it, very lucrative um, nodules that, that are yes. on the base of the sea and they they are very relevant to um, inputs needed for computers and cell phones and all these kinds of things, right? This is seen as being a, a potentially an extremely lucrative industry, but are people nervous about the impact? And, and there's this name change about trying to win hearts and minds. Well, it does seem this way. Uh, There's been a lot of resource uh, poured in uh, by the Cook Islands. They've been hiring a lot of young people as well. They have a board and have... Uh, managed to uh, bring on board a lot of uh, papas or um, well-respected individuals within within the Cook Islands to be a part of this board and um, convince them that this is the future, that this is a good idea. And seabed minerals or nodules are almost like black pumice around fist size and they're collected uh, through a large pipe attached to a ship above and uh, it is used for powering electric vehicles. So... We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. Yes, I know it's been a, a, a long subject of uh, discussion. Yeah. Uh, now, let's uh, in Papua New Guinea, this this incident, dozens killed in tribal fighting. Yeah, so it's it's been called one of the worst massacres in recent years. Uh, there were about uh, authorities revised the number of deaths from fifty four to about twenty six, but it happened uh, an ambush between tribes in the remote Akam village in Inga Province, Papua New Guinea, on Sunday. Uh, it's probably one of the largest in the highlands uh, region that we've seen in recent history. Uh, it was part of uh, an endless cycle of uh, payback killings between two tribes. There are 18 or so tribes scattered around mountains and rivers fighting in the highlands, and police have struggled to contain these ongoing series of tribal attacks. And a lot of the weapons happen to be uh, Israeli and U.S. guns, and there seems to be a black market where they are able to get this. And um, James Manape has been calling on support from Australia uh, but it's something that uh, police commissioner says uh, they're trying their best to to kind of uh, stop this renewed fighting uh, on the ground, but it just seems to be an ongoing cycle. I think the number of deaths has been revised back. It was more than 50 at the start, it revised was. back to 26. That's it's still a lot. It's still a, a lot. A lot of loss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Alicia, thank you very, very much. Alicia Foon, our RNZ Pacific um, commentator today.